you have your Bible, let's just pause for a moment and just ask God to align our heart and mind with the text, and we'll, we'll dive right in. Lord, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for another day to worship you and to be together. And now open our minds just to see what's there. Open our ears to hear what you're saying, Holy Spirit, and we want to follow you. We want to live the way of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Who am I? Uh, Jose, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an American. Am I? Yeah. <laughs> Check my passport. I'm legal. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm an American, right? Um, who, who am I? Uh, I'm a Puerto Rican. Uh, 100%. My mom and dad trace back multi-generations back to Puerto Rico. My wife, Carmen, happens to 100%. We're 100% Puerto Rican, but we don't speak Spanish. That's another story. Don't judge. But... But that's, that's who I am. I happen to be an American. I happen, I happen to be a Puerto Rican. That's my ethnic heritage. Okay, like who am I? Am I a, am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? Am I an independent? I'm, I'm not saying. I, am, I, <laughs> am I an activist? Do I, do I go to Capitol Hill and do I sign uh, petitions? Do I advocate for causes that are important? Am I an escapist? Do I just say like I'm going to follow Jesus and leave all that stuff. It's just, it's toxic anyway. Um, who am I? Who are you? You are complex, right? So when you walk in, you walk in with your ethnic background and you walk in with your national background. You might be an American, you may, you may not be. You walk in with all of that. And I think you would agree that we're in a very interesting season in our country, right? Uh, politics and government have always been a source of discussion. But it's gotten to the level where all sorts of disrespect and venom fly, and we no longer even see it as venom. We're just like used to it. We're used to if you want to stand up and follow some sort of path, that you're going to get knocked down. So no matter what your passport or your politics, I want to focus today on what's the most true thing about you. If you are a follower of Jesus, what's the most true thing? You and I, we are children of God through faith in Jesus. That's who we are. Now, I might be American. I might be Puerto Rican. I might be some sort of party. I might be an activist. I might avoid whatever I am. The most true thing about me is that I'm a follower of Jesus. And how does that hit Romans 13? We're going to look at it rather than read it and then go back. We're just going to Give a few thoughts and read the text as we go along. But if you haven't been here, you know that Romans 12 is where we ended uh, last week. And this conversation in Romans 13, if you have your Bible, you got to remember that it follows a discussion on love. How do we live as citizens of Jesus? We belong to the kingdom of God. God is our leader. Jesus is our Lord. But we also live in a country with laws and with rules. How do we live as both citizens of this earth and citizens of heaven, to use Bible language? Let me put it in, in vernacular. How do you combine faith and politics and policy? Where does all of that fit? Now, for some of you, this is a very hot button. Like, like Jose, you finally got to Romans 13. The rest I don't care about. But come on. Like, I, I, this is my thing. For others, especially if you're in middle school or high school, you're like, what? Like, I don't vote and I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. But let me tell you, the idea of faith and following will hit you at every level, whether it's school or home or government. 
Last week we saw from Romans 12, the big idea is that Jesus' followers respond with love. Did you catch that from last week? We don't respond with revenge. And Paul was really clear. If someone personally injures you, you're to bless those who curse. And we're not to curse. We're not to take revenge. Then, if in, in logical thought, he extends it. What, what about the world that we live in? Last week was all about you. And if you get hurt, this week we're going to look at what happens to us. We're going to read verse 1 in a moment, but let's just think about the landscape that we live in, right? Uh, in Oregon, it's legal to buy marijuana. It's legal for women to have an abortion. It's legal for same-sex couples to marry, right? And it's legal for a doctor to help terminally ill patients to end their life early. How do we as Jesus followers... If you hear those things and say, wow, I, I'm not in line with any of that. How do you and I follow the way of Jesus, demonstrate love, even when our government or our culture contradicts the things that we value? This is like real world stuff. And what I love about our church is we're not afraid to talk about real world stuff. This is, this is where Jesus meets everyday life. And just to remind you, Jesus isn't just interested in Sunday and a time slot. He's the Lord of all of life. And so this should be like the most natural of all conversations because Jesus affects everything. Now, I will say this. Please listen to everything I say. And then when we post the audio later today and the video uh, early this week, please watch it again before emailing me because I can guarantee you I will offend probably most everyone by what I don't say. Not what I say. This is just such a hot topic. They're like, well, you didn't, and you didn't cover. And you. What I want us to do is not answer every question because there's just too much time. And there's too many issues. I want us to look at a framework. Get us on the same page of a framework. We're going to see five things that can provide a framework for how you think about your faith and politics or faith in any sort of system that God sends you to, whether it's America or whether it's Europe or Asia or Africa, wherever you are, all five would apply to anyone walking the planet who chooses the way of Jesus. You ready? So have your Bible, but then write down these five things if you have something to write down. If not, pretend and move your hand. It'll make me feel better. All right, number one. All authority belongs to God. Look at verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. We're going to start with the obvious and then work our way over to things that may be a little more, not controversial, but we may have more disagreement about. First, fear obvious. God, by his nature, is a God of order. So God creates the universe, right? God makes everything that is. The important foundation is that we recognize that this stuff didn't just happen. The world is a visible display of what God is and what God has done. So order is there. Um, the planets orbit around the sun, right? The tides roll in and out. The fish can breathe in the water. We can't. We live on land. There's order the universe, winter, spring, and summer, or fall, or just extended winter, wherever you live. Like, there's just, there's order. And so there's no authority except that which comes from God. So authority is the key word here. The definition here in Romans 13 means ruling power. 
the word exousia means lots of things when it comes to authority, right? Power, ability. Here it means the power to lead. So all power to lead ultimately belongs to God. In other words, no one leads above God. That's what I want you to know. I think we'd agree about that. For a Jesus follower, there's no one, no one giving God orders. Like God's not having to check in with anybody. God is the ultimate source of authority. Now, obviously, this creates problems because people aren't following God. Yes, people have rejected God's leadership. Some people are doing the exact opposite of what God wants. But fundamental to our discussion about faith and living in this world of ours is recognizing God rules above all. A, ter a term you probably heard, God is sovereign or God's the king. That's what sovereign is the king. So there's no one above God. So if there's authority, it's ultimately subject to him. Second thing, God delegates authority to people. God delegates. Who, who does the delegating? God. Look at verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. For those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then it's real simple. Do what is right and you will be commended. So we're equally valuable in God's sight. God loves every one of you. Jesus died for every one of you. And you're equally loved. But let's be clear. We're not equally authorized to lead. Okay? Fundamental to our discussion. God is the ultimate Authority. All authority comes from him, but he delegates. So let me give you the perfect example. Have you been in a house where a child says, I'm going to do whatever I want and totally disregard their parents? And that's peaceful, isn't it? It's joyful. That's thriving. When a three-year-old says, I'm in charge. We all recognize that, no, that's not the way it, that's not the way that anything's going to thrive. Right. Because God has delegated authority to parents to raise Kids, and we see that all over society. So in a classroom, it's wrong to disrespect the teacher. Why? The teacher is the authority. They're not evil. They're actually God's agent of blessing to give you an education. So parents are to lead their kids. Teachers are to lead their classrooms. And uh, managers are to lead employees. What would a business look like if everyone says, well, I think, well, I think, well, I don't care what you think. If your thinking is out of line with our business, it's not going to thrive. So God delegates. Now, we've all seen abuses of it. I'm just getting to the foundation. We've seen abuses, but we need to recognize it's God-given. God gives authority to people. In a church, today we affirm Brandon as an elder. God's given elders and deacons authority not to play down people in the church, not to hurt, but to help. This is the gift of God. So authority isn't a bad thing. Authority's gotten a bad rap because actually everyone wants to be the authority. We want to take what God hasn't given us. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, I remember I ultimately follow him. He has all authority, but he's given it to people. And we need to include, because Paul says it clearly, God has, God has, God has, God has given those in government the authority to lead Citizens, because God is the king not just of the church but of the universe. So it's not like God's just hanging out with us and he's like, I don't care what the world does. No, no, God is concerned about everything. So far, zero controversy. You're like, oh, I'm with you, Jose. Okay, number three. 
This is going to be simple. God requires us to submit to authority. God requires us to submit to authority. Look at verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're authorized with a way to stop you. They are, underline this, God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to, and this is the phrase, submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So for Jesus' followers, we recognize to disrespect those in authority, uh, whether it's in a classroom, a teacher, whether it's in a home, a parent, whether it's in the workplace, a manager, a boss, an owner, to disrespect authority is not just to disrespect the person. It's a matter of conscience. We believe that God is a God of order. And for whatever reason, I'm not God, so I'm not going to say that I would do it this way, but God has chosen to say, here's how I'm going to keep peace in my world. I'm going to give authority to people to enact good and to create an environment where people can know me and thrive. And God is wise enough, big enough, he's the king, he doesn't even need his followers to be the ones in authority to do good. How many of you got paid, if you're working, got paid in the last month? Okay, those of you who didn't, I'm sorry. I got, um, but but the, you got paid. God blessed you through the authority. People bought your product. People signed up for your service. People, somehow you are able to eat because God has given authority, even in a business, authority from the owners and the management to payroll people. Hallelujah. Payroll people who, who send money into your account. This is a blessing. But God requires us to submit. So perfectly, I'm assuming you showed up and then they paid you, right? So we're to submit. So it's an exchange. God authorizes people and then I do my part to disrespect is to dishonor not just the person, hear me, it's to, it's to dishonor God. So, um, so if I'm texting and driving, which is foolish, texting and driving, I get a ticket, I get mad at the police officer for catching me. Well, there's nothing wrong with the police officer. The police officer is not evil. The police officer is God's agent of blessing, in your case, wrath, because you got to pay. But an agent of blessing to remind you that if you text and drive, you could put your life in danger and someone else's life in danger. And I'm using a flippant one, a, a small one, but a very relevant one as I drive. And look around, think, wow, it would be great if you got your eyes off of, off of the screen for a second and actually looked and don't hit me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So they are servants. They are servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment. So we don't like authority, but we got to remember God requires us to submit. So what Paul does is he gives an example. Look at verse 6. This is why you also pay taxes. He just uses taxes as one example. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So we want good roads. We want good schools, right? We want good parks, so we pay Taxes, for most of us, it just comes out so we don't think about it. But this is a good thing. God's given authority to people to lead and we do our part. We want to go to sleep in peace. 
I travel around the world and what we, if you're an American and have lived here a long time, what we take for granted is you just go to bed at night and you don't worry. For most of us. I lock every door and I double check. But, but, but we don't worry because we are blessed with all sorts of layers of authority that there's relative peace. There's relative peace. Oh, man, get on a plane. And in so many parts of the world, that is not the assumption at all. But we're blessed. So Jesus loving people pay taxes. Reminder, April's coming. Like we pay our taxes. You might groan about it. That's okay. Groan all you want. You pay because God has created a system of order so that his world would not go into chaos. All right. So far, no controversy. Great. Following Jesus in God's kingdom and under God's great rule then doesn't exempt me. It doesn't keep me from living under the rule of the nation. So Jesus, hear me, Jesus pays his taxes. Jesus is the perfect example. And he tells his disciples to do the same thing. By the way, when Jesus pays his taxes, Rome is totally corrupt. When Jesus pays the religious taxes, the, what we would call the tithe, or what he gives to temple, the religious system and the religious leaders are often corrupt. But Jesus still pays. Notice, Jesus doesn't take out Caesar and form a new government. Jesus respects and gives honor to those in authority while critiquing their heart. Jesus has a way of showing us how to live in this kingdom, Jesus, human, man, living in a real place with a real government, and living for the king, God himself. And you and I are called to live in both. So far, so good, right? Okay. Now, now listen to the next two because this is where we might disagree. And hear me, friend. Let's just learn to disagree agreeably. These next two, you don't have to take as, as oh, this is exactly what it means and exactly how I'm going to apply it. But I think these two are helpful pillars, foundations, and then you can discuss politics with this grid in mind. Number four, write it down carefully. There is a difference between submit or submit to and obey or obedience. There's a difference. So let me explain. Uh, this text, Romans 13, has been misquoted over the centuries, if you read history, and I love history, in the past as, as the, the text for the divine right of kings. So for centuries, the kings would simply say to believers and to the church, you need to do whatever I say because God has authorized me. I'm the king. God's authorized me. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. All authority comes from God. God gave it to me. Submit. And they could be evil, but Christians are supposed to follow. So are we to follow government leaders no matter what they do? This is where we begin to question and wonder. So if you're a Christian in Syria and President Assad is murdering kids right now, murdering kids right now, is the Christian supposed to follow President Assad and murder kids? We saw it in the Holocaust where the church, not to critique God's people, but if you look back, even church historians would say, didn't say anything, didn't say enough, didn't speak up while Hitler exterminated millions of people. So where do we fit in this? Now this is where reading the whole Bible is helpful. And this is why we encourage you every week to read all of Scripture. 
Because when you read the whole of Scripture, you get the whole story. You don't take and cherry pick and grab one text and see, see what God says. You, you read it in light of what was written before and in light of what was written afterwards. So let me just give you a bit of the context locally here. Where does Romans 13 fit? It fits right after Romans 12, which is a whole conversation about how we honor God by having our mind transformed, right? And what's the biggest transformation that we need is that Jesus is love. And so if I'm going to follow Jesus, the way I'm transformed is I invite the Holy Spirit to come and create in me a greater capacity to love. Love doesn't curse, it blesses. Love doesn't take revenge, Love seeks peace. Why? Pull in Romans 13. Because God is a God of authority. And God has given some people authority, not all authority, but under his authority, God has given people limited authority to keep peace and order. In other words, Romans 13 doesn't answer every question about everything. Romans 13 gives us a general principle, a framework about how we're supposed to relate with government with, and hear this, exceptions assumed. Paul just doesn't take the time to spell out particular advice because that's not his point. His point is followers of Jesus are not rebels. We're not anarchists. We don't do our own thing. We don't say, I'm following Jesus to hell with you. We don't do that. Why? Because we recognize our ultimate authority is God. And if he's given limited authority to other people, I'm going to show honor to whom honor is due. So Jesus, Paul is just repeating the teachings of Jesus. Look at, look at Luke 20. I'll put it on the screen. Luke 20. And Jesus is, he's trying to be, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to get him to make an offense so they can arrest him. So they ask him, Jesus, is it right for us to pay taxes, you've heard this one before, to Caesar or not? Now again, Caesar is not godly. Caesar is worshiping the gods. Caesar is not the type of person that a Christian would want to follow. Is it right to pay taxes? He saw through their duplicity, and look at how he threads the needle. He says, show me a denarius whose image and description is on it. Show me a coin and it has the Caesar. So Caesar's, they replied, great. He said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar. The currency is Caesar's. This is how you live in Rome. You have currency, you have laws, you have order. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So we are submitting ourselves to God. First, we honor God and you can honor God and honor People in leadership. Are you with me so far? So this isn't like massively controversial at all. We're to give our government what's due to them, and that's not a contradiction at all. It's not a contradiction. All right, uh, one more, and then we're done. That wasn't too hard. See? We're just looking at the basic foundation. One more. Number five. We obey Jesus and honor those in Authority, And this is where we may not exactly see eye, eye to eye. And let's just agree to discuss and love one another and not take revenge. As a general principle, part of following Jesus is honoring those in authority over us. So we apply this at every level. We apply it in our home. Kids are to honor their parents. Ephesians 6 tells us clearly. 
Kids are to honor their parents. Ephesians 5 and, and 6. We apply it in school. All over Paul's letters, he says, work hard. Stop being idle. To those in Thessalonica, he says, I paraphrase, get a job. Work. Don't be lazy. Don't count on other people. Oh, and by the way, you're waiting for the Lord to come, he tells those in Thessalonica. You're waiting around, sitting, twiddling your thumbs. You're not working hard. You're mooching off everyone else because you think God's coming soon, so I shouldn't do anything. And he says, that's foolish. Work hard. You don't know when God's coming. And so don't be idle. Now, what we need to remember is this combination. We obey Jesus and honor those in authority. So we're not rebellious. We believe that God's kingdom has come in Jesus. So Jesus' kingdom is here. Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, of God's rule and God's reign. So it's here. He died and he rose again. And if he's in you, God's kingdom has come to you. You're a citizen of heaven, he tells those in Philippi. You're citizens of heaven. Your passport is stamped with God's seal of approval. You belong to him. This is awesome. I'm a child of God. And so I live for a higher authority. I don't want to just honor the government or my employer or my parents. I live to honor God. So he says in Colossians, I think it's three, he says, whatever it is in word and deed, do everything to glorify God. So we work harder. We, we serve better. We, we are serious as citizens because we realize it's not just the people in government. I actually believe that God is sovereign and God's the king. And so he can work through anyone. And if, if, if Jesus, God himself, can live under Caesar, can't we deal with a few years of a party that you don't like? Can't we honor men and women whether you believe they have full integrity or not? Can we not be the first people to judge what we don't like and what we hate and I wish and if I were in office, I just dare you, I dare you to live a day in someone else's shoes. We just disrespect because our culture and our society says it's okay. And we, are, we have the freedom of speech, which I interpret as a Christian as the freedom to be quiet. I can say whatever I want. And as a Jesus follower, I say, you have the right to bite your tongue and say, is this going to be in alignment with the way of Jesus? Because I do serve the government that I'm under, but more than that, I'm to serve and honor God. So we're, the kingdom of God has come. It's here. It's in you. But we know, we know that Jesus said he's going to return. So the kingdom of God is coming. You see, we're not living in the perfect place yet because Jesus hasn't returned. Now Jesus already told us, and read the revelation at the end of the Bible, and you get a picture of what's to come. Jesus is going to rule at the center of God's city, and there's going to be peace and no more corruption, and there'll be layers of authority. It's not just like you hanging out with Jesus. In the kingdom of God, there'll be layers of authority where everything works right. You ever just go to work or you're at home or in your business and everything just worked out right that day? Like, wow, my inbox is empty. I got paid. People were nice. This is a wonderful. Just amplify that a million, billion times over. There will be order and rule and joy. No war, no reason for an army, no court. Because we will do what is right because we will see him. 
and his kingdom will be fully alive in me. And so therefore I can love you fully. When Jesus returns, things will be right. Until then, we're to live in this tension. And it's a very real tension. I am to, I'm to obey Jesus and honor the government, which is sometimes in conflict. So what do we do? What do we do when there's a direct thing by anyone in authority that contradicts what God has said? And again, this is where there's disagreement in, in the church, but I'll, I'll just read the text and tell you what I think. I think a perfect example is Acts 5. So just write it down. Acts 5, 27 through 29. You still there? We're, we're friends, man. We're friends. We're like best buds. This is awesome. Acts 5, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. Stop. Sanhedrin were the Jewish authority that were political and religious leaders. They guided the Jewish people under Rome. So they weren't the boss. They were authorized by Rome to handle Jewish squabbles. Religious issues, we don't want to deal with it. We don't even know what your Bible says. You guys were authorizing you to lead the Jews. So before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest... We gave you, they said to the apostles, strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name. He said, yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood because they were telling the good news of how they crucified Jesus and the religious authority said yes to it, but God raised him from the dead. Ha ha. <laughs> so, so they were looking bad because they're preaching this message that's making them look bad. Peter and the apostles replied, key, we must obey God rather than human beings. And this is where there's this fine line. We, we obey God, yet we're honoring that the high priest has the authority in Jerusalem and over the Jewish people to tell people to speak or be silent. In this case, Jesus clearly tells the disciples, Matthew 28, go into all the world and share good news. Jesus says, go share good news. Sanhedrin says, stop speaking in Jesus' name. Peter rightfully says, we're going to obey God, not men. So there are points where we have to say, I need to obey God and honor and respect authority, but not obey what that authority says. And this is where there's different debates as to how do we live this out. John Stott, he, he's now with Jesus which is far better, was a longtime uh, pastor in London, and he gave some really helpful thoughts. So it's a long quote, and if you want it, just text me or email me, and I'll send you the long quote. But well, I'll put this on the screen. I think it's very helpful. It's not the Bible, but the dude is smart and very thoughtful. Whenever laws are enacted which contradict God's law, notice the phrasing, civil disobedience becomes a Christian duty. There are notable examples of it in Scripture, and he gives a few. When Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys, remember Exodus, they refused to obey. The midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Another example. When King Nebuchadnezzar issued an edict and Daniel that all his subjects must fall down and worship his golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to obey. And then later in Daniel, when King Darius made a decree that for 30 days no one should pray to any god or man except himself, 
Daniel himself refused to obey. And when, again, and then he goes to Acts 5, when the Sanhedrin banned preaching in the name of Jesus, the apostles refused to obey. Now I want you to notice the phrase, civil disobedience. Not, hear me, not rebellion. And this is where there's a spectrum of, of how, how do we obey God and not men? What do we do? And some would say rebel. I don't, I don't think that's what any of these texts are implying. Daniel stays in the government and he goes into the den of the lion and accepts the punishment. Oh, by the way, God saves him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't rebel and take a sword and stab it in the soldiers. They go into the fiery furnace. And they say, that's okay. This is your law. I'll take the heat. And God rescues and honors them. So there's a big difference between civil disobedience and rebellion and violence and paying back evil for evil and revenge. This is where I think we need to wake up and seize the opportunity as Jesus followers in our day. We can obey God and love people. We can obey God and not participate in the things that our culture is participating in in a way that shows that we believe that there's a higher authority, God himself. And we don't need to tear down this government to submit to his government. Again, lots of thoughts on that. In the end, what am I saying? We obey Jesus, but we still honor authority. We still honor those above us. And if that means we go to prison, then we go to prison. If that means that we pay a fine, we pay a fine. So we need to take last week's message, and here's the key, context. Last week's message about not taking personal revenge. Last week was all about you personally. This week is how we live in a government together. We don't take revenge. We bless, we don't curse. We speak good words. We do good works. We're not those who are eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We work for peace. Jesus is the prince of chaos, right? No, no. He's the prince of what? Peace. Jesus all over when he's announcing the kingdom, peace. Everyone's scared to death. Whoa. Ah, it's a ghost. It's me. Peace. Resurrection. He's raised from the dead. They're all freaked out. He walks through a wall. Peace. Peace. They're in a storm. They're in a boat. They don't know if they're going to make it to the other side. Jesus is asleep because he knows who's authorized to give and take life. And he knows his day has not arrived, so he knows this little stinky storm can't take him out. Peace. And he speaks to the storm and says, peace. Our God is a God of peace. So sometimes we need to speak up against unjust laws. You think of times like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As an example, we march out against things like racism and segregation, we, we can speak in the form and the land that we've been given against things that are wrong. But like Dr. King, put us in jail, hose us down, threaten our life. But we will not strike a blow because we obey Jesus and we honor those in authority. I, I'm not saying everyone's going to agree with that interpretation of it. But if I look at all of Romans 12, I don't see any indication where amongst believers I have the right to take you out. 
I don't see any indication in Romans 12, and I invite you to show me where I lash out against you as a, a follower of Jesus because you disagree with me. Yet, ironically, we don't take it to the logical conclusion where he says in the society that you live in, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the what? World. So how in the world can I represent Jesus in un-Jesus-like ways? Think about this. How can I say I follow the king and act unlike the king in the name of the king? And somehow we, we fall into that trap. Sometimes it's speaking out against what's happening. Other times we're called to work within. You think of the examples in the Bible. Joseph works in the government as a tool of God to keep people from starvation. Daniel, we saw as an example of standing up for God's law, God's ways. He prays when the king says, don't pray. He prays multiple times a day by the window, catch me if you can. Here I am praying to Yahweh. Esther made the queen. Why? Because she was beautiful. She finds herself in a position of ultimate, like next to the king. And by the way, her people are about to get annihilated and she speaks up. She, she works within the opportunity that she's given. So some of you are called to rise up and be people of influence and work within our system for the good and salvation of people. We obey Jesus and we honor those in authority. Now that's, I think that's the five pillars. And we can use that as a frame of reference to think about, because we, what we want to do is we want to go, but what about, but what if, and how far, and if they, well, Paul and Scripture aren't answering every question that we have. That's not how the Bible works. But it does give us the framework to think about every question. And if your answer to these questions of how we live in an ungodly world in a godly way lead you towards perpetual eye for an eye and violence, I would wonder if you've looked at the example of Jesus. I just wonder. Is there ever a time to rise up and to use force, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, how, what do I do if, someone, if someone's about to take me out? Do I take them out first? Those are the things that you and I, we need to talk about, think about, pray about, and come to a good conclusion about. But let me just tell you, more than representing your passport, you and I represent Jesus. So whatever conclusion you come to, Please make sure you feel confident that it's in line with the way of Jesus because more than an American, I'm a Christian. And more than whatever ethnicity, I'm a child of God. And that's primary. Okay, so what do we do about now other than signing up to vote if you're not a voter? What, what, what do we do now, right? I think we start with the core issue of evil. Let's start there. We're going to respond in worship now, and I just want to invite you, before we make decisions about how we're going to respond to evil in our world, let's start a little closer to home. We want to condemn evil in our government, in our world, in our systems, in our policies, but what about the evil that lurks in our own soul? What about that evil? What about that gossip? What about that slander? What about that hate? What about that malice? What about that rage? What about that? What about that? Before we rightfully speak about what is wrong in our world, let's ask God the Holy Spirit to first deal with us.
If there's going to be judgment, it needs to start with the house of God. And so, bluntly, where do you and I need to turn to repent? In what areas do we need to ask God the Holy Spirit to come and correct me before I speak about you? Where have we been rebellious? How about that one? Where have you and I been rebellious? Where have we dishonored those in authority? Where have we dishonored our parents? Where have we dishonored our boss? Where have we been lazy and not been productive because it's my time, even though my employer is paying me at that time. Where, where have we done that? Where have we ignored or not honored church leadership? And our community has invited you to do something. You say, well, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't feel like I have to. Where have we been dishonoring in that way? How about just to a friend? Where have we looked at our brother and sister and pointed the finger? Can you be a Christian and actually be a Democrat? I would ask you, can you be a Christian and be a Republican? We want to we want to make the party or the policy the main thing. You're like, oh, that's the kingdom of this world. First and foremost, I belong to Jesus. So God rid me of evil in me. So I could live as a child of God. And if I'm living like a child of God, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna love you. I'm going to bring you in, and we're going to disagree on small points and laugh the whole way and not get, not get angry, all right? Jesus lives and Jesus rules, so Jesus wants to be our Prince of Peace. So I'm going to invite you to stand up, if you would, and let's respond to Jesus. Let's ask the Holy Spirit of God now to, as we pre prepare our hearts to go to the table. Oh, man, talk about peace. God takes our evil and he absorbs it in the own work of his son to bring us to peace. So let's sing songs to Jesus now and invite him to deal with the stuff in our own soul. If you need to repent, just do it now.